0: Okay, turn to Luke chapter 17, if you would. Luke chapter 17. Beginning at verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. The apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had the faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat"? will not rather he say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Title of the message this morning: Faith to Forgive. Faith to forgive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privileges ours to open your precious word. My Lord, I pray as we look into the word your word today, that we allow you, the Spirit of God, and the author of this blessed book, to teach us, instruct us. I pray that we'd be sensitive and submissive to your leading, open our understanding, that we might receive thy truth. And may you be glorified. We do pray in Jesus' name. You know, there was a person one time that was offended, and so this person went to another Christian friend and asked them, what do you think I should do? And this friend said, just act like nothing happened, just love them and act like nothing happened. I want to ask you a question honestly. Is that even realistic? Furthermore, it's not scriptural. But that's the idea that we have about forgiving people in a lot of Christendom today, in a lot of independent Baptist churches. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. I believe that's been the fruit, it's the fruit of easy, easy believism. But, but anyway, I want to look this morning as we consider this passage of scripture and consider its context, you know, since I've come to understand contextual preaching, the Bible makes much more sense. But as we consider this, I want to notice uh, several things about this. First of all, I've got two points and doesn't mean I'm going to be done quickly because I have quite a few subpoints. But uh, i got two main points. First of all, the practice of forgiveness, and then, and then the prerequisites to forgiveness. So, first of all, the practice of forgiveness. As we think about the practice of forgiveness, I have, I have four, four things I want to mention about that. First of all, there will be offenses. There will be offenses. In verse 1 he says, Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible but that offenses will come. You know, we live in a world of sinners. I don't think I have to, I don't think that's a news bulletin. We all know that. And because we live in a world of sinners, we don't, we don't live in a perfect world. You know, the liberals have this idea that, that, you know, we can just create equality. That if we would just redistribute, redistribute the wealth you know and then we'd all have everything the same and we'd all be one big happy family so to speak there's only one problem with that that's unrealistic because we live in a world of sinners there's those that will just take and there are those who are lazy who will not work or don't want to work You know, usually what happens is if they have to work, they will. Uh, But they don't have to work now. It goes well for it. But anyway, uh, you know, we we live in a world of of sinners. And so because of that fact, there will be, Jesus said, there will be offenses. Offenses will come. In Matthew 18, a a, a parallel passage there in verse 7, it says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. So there's going to be offenses. We accept that fact. You know, even Abraham and Lot. Separated. Because of the strife. Of their herdmen. They couldn't dwell together. There were offenses. In the first family. And I'm sure there's been offenses in yours. There's been in mine. You know. When two sinners dwell in the same house, you know, when you're when you're courting or dating, if you want to call it that, you know, you know, there's there's usually not too many things that cause problems because you you're trying to please the other, you know. But when real life happens after you get married, there's going to be offenses because there's two sinners dwelling in the same house. Uh, you know, there are many many of the New Testament churches in the Bible where offenses were committed and dealt with in the letters that are written to those churches. In Corinth. In, in Thessalonica, there were those who would not work. Paul wrote letters addressing it. You know, there is no such thing as a church without offenses. You know, we've had, we've had people here visit in the past and they just think our church, they just thought our church was wonderful. And I always take that with a grain of salt. You know, and they just they just you know talk in glowing terms because their expectation is way up here, where real life is right down here. And I haven't seen one of those people stay yet. And everything was so wonderful at first. So there's no there's no such thing as a church without offenses any more than a world without offenses. Because churches are made up of human beings. So, so we understand offenses will come. There's going to be offenses. Again, that's not a news bulletin. Second thing you want to notice is that offenders are in trouble with the Lord. Notice verse 1 and verse 2. Then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they may come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Offenders are in trouble with the Lord. He says, woe unto him, that word woe. Woe is an exclamation of grief. Woe, there's a there's there is trouble it, 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 uh, for such a one. Uh, you know, an offense, an offense is of course a sin or a stumbling block. That's what an offense is uh, put before someone else. Again, in Matthew eighteen verse seven says, "Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh." Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life, halt, or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet, be cast into everlasting hell. And if an eye offend thee, pluck it out. So you be better off without hands or without eyes than to be an offender. You see, in an offense, it's not just an offense against another person. An offense is an offense against God. Sin is not just, well, I've sinned against you. No, it's a sin against God. You know, in Genesis 39.9, Potiphar's wife was after Joseph, and Joseph said this to her, There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against who? who do you say? A God. So this is a warning to us to consider to seriously consider our lives so as to grow and please the Lord, to not be a habitual offender. You know, many times people just make excuses for their offenses they're interested in changing, and so yes, you can you can commit multiple offenses and be multiply forgiven it's not right English, I know, but just you know trying to make a point here and be forgiven, as I see in this passage, but this is a warning not to be a habitual offender. We take this thing seriously, not to make excuses for our sin. You first know, 1 John one nine says, if we." That's a the condition there. If we confess our sin, that is, we agree with God. That's what confess means, that we agree with God about our sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see that there, you know, there's going to be offenses, and of course offenders are in trouble with the Lord. And thirdly, we need to beware when offended to respond properly. Notice verse 3. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee. So this is talking to here to the person that's been offended. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if you repent, forgive him. So so we need to beware, when offended, that we respond properly. We are to take heed to ourselves. You know, the, the phrase there, take heed, means to attend to oneself or to give heed to oneself, or to guard oneself, or to be aware. To beware. And the idea that he's trying to tell us is that we when we are offended, we need to be aware that we respond in the right way. In the right way. You know, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, you know what my first reaction is? Pray for you, sister. Nah. Mm -mm, That's not it. No. See, we must be aware or take heed to ourselves that we respond in the right way. We must be willing to forgive those who have Wronged us. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, putting away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In Hebrews twelve, fourteen and fifteen it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, and again, looking diligently again has the idea of, of taking heed to yourself. Lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Your bitterness, being bitter is being resentful. And what bitterness really is, is, is trying to hold that person accountable to you. You're the one who has wronged you. It's trying to hold that person accountable to you. It's an unwillingness to let it go. Frances Havergal, I think it was her that made this statement: "He who angered you controlled you." When I was in Maine, um, of course, they had they had a lot they had a lot of problems there in that church. And, you know, it takes me all day to tell you all about about all of them. But, but anyway, and a lot of it had to do with the pastor. And I don't know how many times I heard this. I would never go to that church again. Most of those people weren't going anywhere. And you, and they would say, you know what that guy did? And after a while I started responding with this so you're allowing him to control the rest of your life because of what he did because of what he did you've turned away from the Lord the Lord didn't do it to you so they weren't responding in the right way they were bitter and angry. And wanted vengeance of that guy. You know, so if we harbor bitterness against someone, that person is really controlling us. And by by, defiling you. Or by your own choice. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So we need to beware that when we are offended, that we respond properly. Now, I want you to notice the fourth thing here. And this is is the one I think that's most often misunderstood. Forgiveness is conditional. It's conditional. Notice verse 3 again. Take heed to yourselves. The next word. If. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So the forgiveness is conditional. You know, many of the promises in the Bible are conditional. Except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. So is there a condition to that? Yes, there is. Except ye re. John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So again, there's a condition there. You have to enter in. You know, it's a picture of receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Again, there's a condition there. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. The condition is by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know, Philippians 4.19, people love quoting, I can do all, no, um, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But you know what, that's a conditional promise too. It's as we obey him. And that promise was given to a church that gave out of their poverty to do what the Lord desired of them to do. And Paul said, God will supply all your needs. They put the Lord first. You see, I I fear that many in our independent Baptist churches have adopted this idea that we just automatically forgive everyone regardless of whether they repent or make restitution or not and everything's going to be okay. You know, you can leave one church and go to another and take your offenses with us and pastors don't even ask questions. You may have phone calls I've gotten for people who have left. but I always call the pastor of a church if anybody comes visiting. Again, I believe this is a fruit of easy believism. Go to Matthew chapter 18 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 18. (coughs) Matthew chapter 18. And this this passage is talking in particular about restoring one who has caused an offense in the church or an offense to someone in the church. And and notice the the steps here. Moreover, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So, So if someone has offended you, you don't go tell all your friends. You're supposed to go tell him or her alone. And if she hears you, in other words, or he or she hears you, in other words, they, yes, you're right, I did offend you, and they repent, They hear, that's the idea of hear you, thou hast gained, or you've restored the relationship. But if they don't, but if he will not hear thee, verse 16, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if she, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. So, so again, you take it an individual basis and then you take two or three and then you if they refuse to hear you take it you take bring them before the church and tell it unto the church but if he neglect to hear the church let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican now let me ask you a question next to hear thee is he forgiven But, was forgiveness offered? Yes, it was. See, it's always our responsibility when we are offended to offer forgiveness. But until it's made right, till a person repents, and if possible makes restitution, there is no forgiveness received. They're not forgiven. They cannot be restored to that relationship again until it's made right. That's why it's wrong for a church to take in a person who's been voted out of another church. They're living in sin. But yet this happens all the time. You see, we are to be willing to forgive, but if they do not repent, the fellowship is not restored. They are not forgiven. And we're to treat them like we would treat any other unsaved person, even though they may be saved. Notice again verse 17. If he should neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. look at the uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We have another illustration of this, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Here, here it was talking about people didn't want to work, and uh, Paul addressed that issue. And he says in verse 14, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. So so again, you're to, to make note of him or to bring him before the church and address his offense. And if he refuses, you vote him out. And it says you have no company with him. In other words, you don't have fellowship with him. Yet, verse 15, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him and a brother. You know, you wouldn't consider him an enemy. But, you know, you may have been in close fellowship before this incident takes place. But now, that's ruined. Again, the idea is to treat him like you would an unsaved person and encouraging him and warning him to get right with God. So we see the practice of forgiveness. Then I want you to notice the prerequisites for forgiveness. The prerequisites for forgiveness. And And I have two things here. Uh, First of all, faith in the Lord. Forgiveness, being willing to forgive someone takes faith in the Lord. Um, Notice verses 5 and 6 it says, and and so in response to what Jesus just taught here about forgiveness, the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. Now, why did they say that? One commentator, Adam Clark, said this, quote, This work of pardoning every offense of every man, and that continually seems so difficult, even to the disciples themselves, that they saw, without an extraordinary degree of faith, they should never be able to keep this command, unquote. You see, forgiving people is not easy. It's not easy. It takes great faith. And faith, and that is, let's read verses 5 and 6. And the apostles said, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 5 and 6. The apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. Now, faith is not going about demonstrating our power over nature by praying trees up. That's not faith. Faith is acting according to God's will revealed in his word. That's what faith is. And so, faith gives us strength to confront and stand against an offender. Think about this. It may be a friend. It may be a family member. Who has wronged you, or who has wrong, or has committed offense against the church? And that takes faith. David said in Psalm forty-one nine, "Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat bread at my, did eat my my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me." You know, the man at Corinth was somebody's friend. Somebody's sibling, probably. It was his best friend's dad who was an offense to David. Think about it. His best friend's dad. if you spend much time or years in a church, there's going to be friends, maybe family, who are going to offend you. Or go against the Lord and His church. It takes faith in the Lord to stand. You know, some of my best friends are no longer And you know the old saying, people often say, "Well, blood's thicker than water," but it should not be when it comes to the things of the Lord. And so it takes great faith. And secondly, you know, not only faith gives us strength to confront or to stand, but it also gives us security in the Lord needed. To forgive. and why do I say that? Well, look at verse 4 again. He says, And if he trespassed against thee seven times in a day, and seven times a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. I don't think that Jesus is saying it's all right for people to commit an offense seven times in one day. We've already noticed that he said, Woe unto him through whom the offenses come. But what he's saying is that when you... The forgiveness needs to be so complete that the relationship is restored. That takes faith. That takes security in the things of the Because forgiveness restores a relationship, but along with that rest- restoration, it also opens you up to the possibility that you could be offended. You see, it makes you vulnerable to being hurt again. Matthew Poole in his commentary said, quote, no duty required of men and women more greats upon flesh and blood than this of forgiving, forgiving injuries nothing that the most of people find harder to put into practice, so indeed where there is not a root of faith, this fruit will not be found. You see, again, to restore the relationship makes you vulnerable to the possibility. I know we're not supposed to think that way. Are we? We're to think evil of no man. But when somebody has offended you, human nature being what it is, we often fear that it could happen again. And so to make yourself, to restore that relationship, what you are doing is you're making yourself vulnerable to that possible opportunity again. but you know by making yourself vulnerable you also make yourself useful. Jesus made himself vulnerable to his enemies. Think about that for a bit. So, so it requires faith in the Lord. Secondly, it requires a prerequisite is that it a right understanding of our position before the Lord. And that's what verses 7 through 10 are about, where he says, But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat'? Will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken? And afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank the servant, because he did the things which were commanded him? I trow not. In other words, I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So if we're going to have an uh, 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 be willing to forgive, we have to have a right understanding of our position before the Lord. That we are just simply unprofitable servants. you really the idea... That I'm not gonna forgive gives you, makes is is really pride, thinking I'm better than they. I'm I'm not gonna, you know. And this is what the Lord's getting at here. The word pride means useless, good for nothing. By a hyperbole of pious modesty, is what it's referring to. The servant calls himself unprofitable. Because although he has done all. Yet he has done nothing except he, what he ought to have done. Accordingly, he possesses no merit, could only claim to be called profitable, should he do more than what he is bound to do. That's, that's uh, Thera's Greek lexicon. You know, anything we do in service for the glory of God, let me ask you this. Does it profit the Lord? I mean, does it profit the Lord? Does our service for the Lord profit the Lord? The answer is no. He's already perfect. He's already perfect. He doesn't need us. We are unprofitable servants. So why do we do it? Why don't we just all go home and forget about it? You know, it glorifies the Lord in that by design, our service brings others into relationship and fellowship with him. So then who does it profit or who should it profit? It profits mankind. Those God desires to save, those for whom Christ died. You know, I, I've said this before God doesn't need me. We're not indispensable, we are just unprofitable servants. God's complete without us. And yet, God so loves us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, God, God desires to save us, but he is complete without us. He doesn't need us. We're unprofitable servants. So this is this is a war, this is a warning to the disciples. So that they didn't get to think, well, you know, Peter might say, well, you know, I've pastored the great church of Jerusalem for seven years. You know? And get to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In fact, Paul had an affliction, lest he be exalted above measure. So, we have a right you know, a right understanding of our position before the Lord that we are not any better than anyone else without the Lord. Another attitude that sometimes is prevalent or is seen as the attitude. One commentator said, quote, the attitude, the kind of attitude Jesus spoke of is not a false humility, the kind of attitude that says, I'm no good at anything. We're not talking about that. You know, The attitude that says, I'm no good at anything, it is not an admission that we do nothing good or pleasing to God. It simply recognizes that he has done so much more for us than we could ever do for him, unquote. See, sometimes we want to project an image of a super-Christian image. One commentator said, not not enough Christians have this attitude today. Instead, many today often want to project a super-Christian image that makes them seem to be anything but unprofitable servants. We only think that we are better than others are when we look to man, not to Jesus. And I've often said, You know, you can look around the world and say, you know, I'm better than they are. But when you start comparing yourself to the Lord... So this is a warning against pride. Spurgeon said this, quote, Growing saints think themselves nothing. Full-grown saints think themselves less than nothing, unquote. You see, we need to to have a right understanding of who we are. Not to be puffed up with pride and think or to be condescending to those who may have committed offense. You know, maybe portraying an image that well, I never have any struggles in my life. We're hiding behind a spiritual veil. And really that, again, limits your usefulness to others. It's portraying this picture, the perfect image, that I have it all together. I never get discouraged. I don't know about you, but I get discouraged. But I was really encouraged one day. I went to a pastor's fellowship one time. And there was this older pastor there. He was probably 65, pastored for years. Always seemed to me to be a, just a consistent, down-to-earth guy. And we had a speaker, and this preacher was preaching away, and he, he raised that question. "Do you ever get discouraged? And this old preacher was sitting right beside me. He, or, you know, he said, you ever want to quit? And this old preacher said, yeah, every Monday. I thought, I thought, you? Yeah, him. What was he being? You know what he was being? He's being transparent. That's what we call being transparent. We all have struggles. See, and it really boils down to a right understanding of really who we are before the Lord. We are just, unprofitable servants. Yes, God wants us to forgive others. But it isn't something we just throw out. No. It's something that has to be. It is conditional. It has to be. Received. Through repentance. And restoration. And of course. We need to have the faith. The trust in the Lord. Be willing to forgive. Be Willing to make ourselves. Again vulnerable and open that we might be a help to those who do offend. So might God help us to properly understand and have the faith to forgive those who trespass or offend us.